0: Morning. Good morning. You want to turn to Titus 1 where we'll start. Before we read, I just we'll start with kind of an introduction here. The question that I want to cover today is about what unifies us as Christians, as a church. Paul calls it the faith. What what is it that means we're all in the one Lord, you know, one faith, one baptism. What is it that unites us, and what are the basics? And it kind of, there's this interesting story from World War II that's kind of a contrast, and it kind of gets at this idea of like, what is the foundational things we agree on? And it's kind of ironic, this story, but um, this was before the U.S. was in the war, but basically, you know, the, the Axis and the Allies, England and Germany were kind of the two big um, powers fighting there. And there were some interesting things going on in terms of their foundational position and then how they worked that out. So I'll give you kind of a strange example. Hitler was really specific on like like little details of morality. So um, for example, they had this ace fighter pilot that really liked to smoke cigars and Hitler would not let them put a picture of him with a cigar in the newspaper because that might corrupt the kids and they might see that as a bad example and so here's this, their position is an evil position, right they're, you know, exterminating the Jews and lots of other um, you know, uh, disabled people and a lot of these other things and they're doing all these horrible things and yet they have this one particular point you know, like of decorum, it's like, yeah, we're not we're against that, you know And then on the other side, you know, uh, there's Churchill who's leading um, England and he's smoking cigars all the time and they have no problem putting him in the paper and yet they're fighting for um, liberty, you know, and um, at the time, you know, they didn't realize about the concentration camps but they knew that this was not good. And so you see an interesting thing. If you don't have clarity on the big things, you could be on the wrong side, right? You could say, well, look. Hitler is really particular about these, you know, these important things. We, I care about kids. Do you care about kids? You know, and look at Churchill. He's smoking all the time in the papers. You know, um, and be on the totally of the wrong side. And so you have to be able to see what things matter most, and even be able to see I disagree with you on some things, but I agree with you fundamentally. And so that's really what happened. in, you know, that's uh, an example from history. Now let's apply that to the church. Here's some real examples. Um, of things, real life examples of things that that are kind of like that in the church. Um, there was a guy who went over to France to from the from a Baptist um, organization, and he was helping over there with this church. And he had a real big emphasis on teetotalism, which is you can't drink any alcohol at all. And if you know like the French culture, it's very different. And um, I lived over there, and, you know, like, basically, everyone, 99.99% of people drink, you know, wine at dinner and things like that, and so he majored on this minor thing, um, this pastor that came over from the U.S. to help over there, and they asked him, basically, you know, we agree on the big things. Um, Can you not make this a main emphasis, but he brought it up basically every single week about... Basically, real Christians, you know, don't drink alcohol. And eventually, he just had to leave um, because it became, he, he made it such a big issue. And they knew that he held that position, and they were okay with him having a different position. But when it became the main thing where every week you're bringing this up, you know, constantly, then it's just so it causes so much of a, of a rift. It divides us on uh, focusing on the main thing. So that's an example where it's like, look, do we agree on the big things? Do we have to take this... Secondary thing and make it the big. It's like, what what's the big thing? What unites us? And sometimes people don't even realize. Some people think, oh, it's this little thing over here. Um, and maybe they think it's a big thing. Uh, it might be another, it might be the other side where you start out seeing um, we all, we're all united here and then changing your mind maybe and then, and then dividing over it. But the reality is it's really important for us to be really clear on what is What are we united on? How do we know we're our, is it um, somebody is our ally, you know, uh, or is somebody totally outside the faith, the faith? And so that's what we're going to talk about today is just really, if you remember my outline, uh, you may not remember, but the big thing was God and the gospel. And then that flows into all the other areas of our life. And we kind of split that up into the three chapters of Titus um, a couple weeks ago. And that's really what we're going to cover today is. God and the Gospel. And then, just to give you an outline of the whole book, basically, there's kind of two points. And the first one is that God and the Gospel, or what I, what Paul sometimes calls the faith, and how that flows into our life. And then the second half of the book uh, is the application of that. So you could divide the book into kind of two points that kind of come up over and over. Gospel proclamation, and gospel application, or you could say it a different way, knowing the truth, and obeying the truth, yeah. or you could say it a, different, another, a couple of different ways, gospel belief, and gospel living, um, and so those are all different ways of saying the same thing, uh, and that's really the book of Titus. So today we're just going to cover one piece of that, which is the, the truth part, the faith part, the, um, the faith, what is the faith? And so let's read all these here passages in Titus where this comes up, where Paul is throughout the book appealing back to the basis of the of all the reasons we live the way we live, we set up the church the way we do, uh, how we relate to other people, all that is God and the gospel. And so let's just read all three of those passages from all three. He he broaches it in all three chapters. So let's read all those together here, starting in Titus. The first one is at the very beginning, Titus one. Let's read one to four. Paul grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. So you see that there both pieces of the whole book. Um, gospel truth and application. In this case he says the truth which accords with godliness. So it leads to gospel truth leads to gospel application. Let's read the next one here and you can see all those pieces. This is in 2 Titus 2, 11-14. see those two pieces there again, clearly uh, hit over and over. And then let's do the last one here, Titus 3, 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Believed in, uh, sorry, the saying is, I skipped a verse, verses 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Alright, so these are the three times this comes up, but we're really just beginning Titus, and the beginning is, this is the foundation that he starts out the book with, and then he appeals to throughout the book, which is the faith. And this phrase, the faith, comes up quite often, more often than in other books in these pastoral epistles, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, where he's writing to pastors um, of these churches, and he's talking about the faith, he calls it, and he we never get a real outline of what he means um, when he says the faith, but we can put all the passages that he talks about, kind of piece them together, what is the faith, how do we know we're in the faith, and the basics, the salvation, and so I'm just going to read a couple verses throughout the New Testament and try and see if we can narrow this down. What is it that unites us as a church? What is it that allows us to be a Christian? What are the basics? What is the faith? Because it's not everything. You know, we see throughout the New Testament there's disagreements. There's things that churches disagree on or they get wrong. But it doesn't mean they're not real churches. And so we want to narrow this down. And I've already kind of told you my, my conclusion is you could summarize it with two things, God and the gospel. Um, God and the gospel. Or you could say the same thing in a different way. And this is really from Titus 1, 1-4, a person and a promise. So God is the person and the promise is salvation uh, through Christ. And so that's what I would contend is he's talking about with the faith. And let's look at some other verses so we can kind of narrow this down and see why why that is. If you want to turn to these, you can, you don't have to, because I'm going to jump around quite a bit here, um, reading a, quite a few verses here. Starting in 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to read a couple verses here, and I'm going to go kind of fast, so feel free to just listen, or whatever you want to do there. But 1 Timothy 4, what verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And jumping down to verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained up in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So here we see just the idea that these are the, these are the basics of, well, teaching, it's truth, that the faith involves truth, involves doctrine, and that you can be deceived and be led astray out of the faith, um, that you can believe something that's not true. I'm going to read here one that gets a little bit more. This is Jude, uh, verses 3 and 4. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This one gives a uh, another clue on what he means by the faith. This is Jude writing, but it's, he still uses that term, the faith. Verse 3... is talking about that same idea, the faith, and he gives us some clues on okay what does it mean to be a part or be separate from the faith? And he says that um, perverting grace, so grace has to be a part of it. The idea that Titus talked that Paul talked about in Titus three that it's not by works, it's by grace it's not because of our law keeping it's not because of what we've done, um, that it's free it's a free gift it's not something we earn that that's a part of the gospel a part of the faith, an essential piece of the faith is that we don't earn it, that Christ earned it for us. And you can see that in quite a few other places, but it's clear here in Jude. And then the second thing that's clear from Jude is that it involves Jesus. It says, they turn the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. You can't be a part of the faith and deny Jesus as your Lord. Um... So you see a few pieces here starting to come together. The idea that it's by grace we're saved, not of works. And then also the idea that it's Jesus, who's our Lord and our Savior. If you deny him as your Savior, you can't be a Christian. Um, Part of becoming a Christian is seeing, wow, Jesus is the one that saves me. Jesus is my Lord. So those are a few pieces. I'm just going to keep kind of packing these in. And you'll see that all this is covered in Titus, so we're just kind of taking the whole counsel of God, why? Why does he use this phrase here at the end of Titus chapter 1? My true child and a common faith. He doesn't say the faith there, but a common faith. What is that? What is he talking about? Well, we're trying to piece all this together from the rest of the Bible and from Titus. So another section here, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. I'll start in 19. Uh, It's talking about Christ. It says, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is 21, 121. And you, who were once alienated and hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so two things I want to point out from this particular section where he talks about the faith. He interchanges it with the hope of the gospel. Um, And so we see that the faith, an essential piece of the faith, is what we often call the gospel. And we actually saw that kind of idea earlier in Jude, where he talked about, he, he uses two phrases kind of interchangeably, our common salvation, he starts there, and then he talks about contending for the faith. And so, we see that part of this is, the faith is, how do you become a Christian? He's saying that every person that's a Christian, there's not many ways to be saved, there's only one, and that's the faith. The faith is a common salvation. We're all saved in the same way. There's not some of us who were saved one way, and then other of us who are saved option, you know, door one, and then other of us took door two. No, there's only one. And what is that way? Well, that way is the gospel. Our common salvation for all of us is the gospel. And it's that Jesus saves us by his blood, by his death on the cross. Not We aren't saving ourselves. We're not working our way to heaven. We're not being good enough. We're not trying to earn it. We're looking to Jesus and saying, God, I'm not good enough. I can't earn it, but you've promised um, to save me. And that's our common salvation. That's the faith. Yeah. You see the two pieces again that I've already kind of said. My conclusion is God and the gospel. Um, let's look at it one more here. Let's look at two more. Uh, there's, there's one in Galatians here. Let's look at it and then. This is the last one, I think, that says the faith. Galatians 1, 22, and 23. Actually, I'm going to start. Actually, I'm going to read two sections from Galatians 1. Let's start in 6, Galatians 1, 6, and then we'll jump to 22. Galatians 1, 6, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ Jesus and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So let's pause right there. See how that's bringing together a lot of these pieces we've already talked about? The gospel, grace, and and Christ himself. They all go together, right? You can't, if you desert Jesus himself, you can't have the gospel. If you uh, change the gospel, you're not really coming to Jesus as he's asked to become, you know, as he's called us to himself. And... Let's jump down to 22 now. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. This is Paul talking about his own uh, background. They only were hearing it said, He who used to per- persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And so, just kind of packing in some some thoughts here. Paul when they saw that Paul had been saved, had been turned from persecuting to salvation, what they said is now he's proclaiming the faith. And Paul's bringing this up to build up his argument that he, that there's only one gospel. So it's, you kind of have to read between the lines here, but to see that, this whole argument where Paul's presenting the gospel and saying there's only one gospel, you guys deserted the gospel, not there is another gospel, and he brings up how he was preaching the faith, and he goes on to talk about how he even went to the apostles and they agreed this is the one you know, the one gospel, the one faith that they received from Jesus, Paul's proclaiming the same one. And so you see that all this is just to say that the faith includes the gospel. And that's why he brings this up here in Galatians one is he's in his whole argument about there only being one gospel, he calls, um, he calls people to remember how he was preaching the faith. So just to recap, so far all we've said, my summary of the faith would be um, God and the gospel, that we can't compromise, we can't move on any, any an inch on any one of those areas, because if we don't, if we do, then we're not going to be in the faith. We're not going to have Jesus as our Lord. We're not going to be Christians. And we are united as a church over these two issues. Who is God and what is the gospel? There's one verse that's really helpful in this, in this uh, thought that kind of brings these things together. From 2 Corinthians. And this will be the last of all the turning um, but 2nd Corinthians I think it would be good for everyone to look at this one because it's really helpful 2nd Corinthians 11 this one really clearly brings in these two pieces God and the gospel and that we can't turn from either one 2nd Corinthians eleven two through 4 For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I'm going to jump down in verse 12 here uh, to kind of finish this thought up. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So here's back to our original thought. How do we know we're on the same side? How do we know someone is a... Is a Christian? What is it that unites us? Even if we differ on some things, what is the core thing that we're agreeing on? And it's really clear from this passage that it's God and the gospel. The way he says, if somebody comes to you and they proclaim a different Jesus, different God, or a different, you receive a different spirit, again, God, or a different gospel, he's saying you put up with it readily enough. And then he goes on to say that if somebody proclaims a different Jesus, a different spirit, so I would put those under God, or a different gospel, that they're not a a part of our group, that they're false apostles, that they're not um, building on the same foundation as us, meaning that our foundation is God and the gospel, is Christ and his work on the cross, that that's what unites us, that that's what unites us as a church, that's what unites us as individuals, um, that's what makes us Christians. So why do we have to start here? Well, this is what Paul appeals to throughout Titus as why do we do the things we do? Why do we set up the church the way we do? How do we relate to unbelievers the way we do? All that is, un- is drawing on this one foundation that we all have, which is God and the gospel, who God is and how he saved us, that it's by grace, through faith, not of works. I mean, you can't really say it much better than Paul did in Titus 3. It's a really amazing and wonderful passage how we were basically sinners. Um, and he goes into specific detail on how we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So what unites us all here? Why are we, what are we all here to say? We're all here to say, we were all really messed up sinners, right? And then what? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That's what we're all here saying. If we're a member of the church, if you're a Christian, you're saying, I'm here because I was like this, but God invaded my life. I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I didn't come to church and everybody helped me get my act together. God's the one that saved me. God's the one that washed away my sins. God's the one that changed me. He's the one that pursued me. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He did it. He, he washed me because He's merciful. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. He did it. Praise the Lord. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The things that I could not do. I loved sin. I wanted to sin. Not only was I a, a sinner, I loved sinning. I pursued these things because I enjoyed them, because I liked them. The things I was doing, that you know even things I was ashamed of, I poured myself into because I actually love them. And I love them more than I loved God. I had a opportunity. Do I want to follow God? Do I want to go into sin? I wanted to sin. And that's the way we all were. And then Christ invaded our life and changed us from the inside out, show, opened our eyes to see, wow, the goodness of Jesus Christ, he's actually better than sin. And now we're new. We've, re, we've not only been saved by Jesus, we've, we're made new. We're new people. The things that I used to love, I don't love anymore. The things that I thought were boring, now I love. The things that I wanted to do, I don't want to do anymore. Um, the sinful things. And the things that I thought I didn't want to do, now they are the most meaningful parts of my life. Things like reading the Bible, praying, um, talking about God. these, Spending time in the Word. You know, All these things, fellowshipping with others that I didn't enjoy doing, now I love doing. Why? Because I've been changed from the inside out. Not because I changed myself, but because God through his blood, washed me, and then filled me by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. And it says, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, praise the Lord. I mean, all that came not by us, but through God, through what Christ did on the cross. That's where all this has come come from. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he's saying the exact same thing, just another way, with legal language. Justified by his grace. We've been declared innocent in God's court. Why? Because Jesus took our punishment. Not because we earned it, not because we paid off a little bit of our debt. It's by grace. It was a free gift. And then he goes on to bring in the second point of basically the whole book. is That's the gospel and then there's gospel obedience and that's it applies to our life and so he's saying this thing is trustworthy and i want you to insist on thing these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works so in result of that we live uh, our life for god not because we're earning anything but because he's already given us everything in christ and so why do we start here it's really important as a church it's really important for you if you're not a christian this is this is what you need to know is there's a God who loves you it's Jesus and that there's a gospel the good news is you can be right with God you're separated from God by your sin but Jesus made a way for you to be saved through faith in him trust him turn to him don't try and clean up your sins don't try and hide your sins bring your sins to Jesus the person of Jesus and the good news of his death for you can save you today tonight right now trust him There's a lot of different ways we can say this. You know, the Bible, different writers in the Bible say this same thing and they use different terminology that all is, is basically the same thing. You could say trusting Jesus. You could say faith in Jesus. You could say believing Jesus. You could say repent of your sins and turn to God. All those things are the same thing. They're the gospel. And they're all interconnected to where you can't separate faith and repentance really because if you begin trusting Jesus... Then you have repented from not trusting Jesus. So the moment you have faith, you've repented, and the result—the opposite is true too. If you really repent, you see, well, wow, I was going this way, and I'm, and now I'm going to turn around. I'm going to trust the Lord." Um, you've you've had faith, right? You've believed something of what Jesus did for you and His goodness, and that He's better. Um, and so that's why it's kind of interesting. Certain books of the Bible will emphasize one thing or another, like uh, John. The Gospel of John doesn't use the word faith. And uh, it's kind of interesting. N- not once. But does it present the Gospel? Absolutely. Right? He he, he highlights believe a lot. of The word believe. Uh, the verb. But he doesn't have the noun in their faith. It's kind of striking. But anyways, all that is to say, we're all united on this. What does it mean to be a Christian? How can I be right with God? These are the two basic questions. And they're kind of tied together, you can see. Because... If the question is, how can I be right with God? You have to know Jesus. That is God. You can't know the gospel without knowing the person of Jesus. We have to hold on to these. um, Many, many times this idea, what are the basics? And thinking in my mind, who is God and what is the gospel? It really, really is applicable to your life. Whether you're not a Christian and you need to receive that and to, to understand that, or if you're a Christian and you meet other people. It's a great thing to have it in the back of your mind because there's often times where you could go like talk to somebody who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, or you meet someone on campus uh, sharing the gospel or whether if you're a college student or maybe you're at work. What, where do you start? It's tempting to start at kind of some secondary issues, but really the foundation is where we can start. Who is Jesus and what, how are we made right with him? And so that's where we can start. Um, It's how we can tell who's a part of the faith and who's not. You know, why is it that it's a big deal? Why is it such a big deal if somebody says Jesus isn't God or Jesus wasn't always God? Because that's an essential piece of the faith. Um, You know, we could go through the verses. There's lots of, we could look at all the verses here, but it's very clear Uh, from the Bible that you cannot throw out any part of who God is. A foundational piece like Jesus is God and be right with God. You know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's what he said to the the Jews there in Jerusalem. They had to know him as God, even though they knew a lot about God. They knew the Old Testament. They had to know Jesus or they were going to die in their sins. And so these things are really important. Um, They come up a lot, like Sean was talking about, in the jail. We would go into the jail, and people would have these Bibles that were from the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they were different. And they said, Jesus wasn't God. And how do you deal with that? Is that something you let slide? Is that something you say, well, we're all Christians, we all believe basically the same thing? Or is that a point of division where you say, look, that's not true, and that's not Christianity? That Christianity is built on Jesus, the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, dying for our sins. And there's a lot of things like that. Anything that separates Christianity from a cult can be boiled down to these two things. Who is God and how am I made right with God? Right. And so every single other, other um, religion, whether it looks Christian or whether even they even carry around the Bible, is separated by these two things. And uh, there's a lot of different ways it looks, um, but they all boil down to that. It might be that they confess Jesus is God and they're working their way to salvation and that's not the gospel that's not a Christian. a Christian doesn't save himself and so there's a lot of different things we can talk about um, I remember my dad shared a story with my my families from independence and my um my great grandma was r l d s and my dad, when she was dying, was talking to her, you know what about Jesus you know how can you be are you right with god and she said, I'm trying, I'm working my way. And my dad, I'm not quoting this word for word, but he just, he said that he just hung his head and he said, you don't have to be good enough like Jesus. It's that Jesus died for you. And uh, it, it was just so sad, you know, to see she, um, the difference that she wasn't in the faith, right? Even though she carried a Bible, she read her Bible. She was a part of this kind of offshoot of Mormonism, or LDS, um, and she was working her way. She hadn't trusted Jesus, and they may they may be very nice, very friendly, very compassionate people that don't know Jesus, and we can share with them, but we have to see that we're not on the same team, right? We're we're not all united in the same faith. That's a different faith, and that's what Paul says here. You know that why, why that passage in Second Corinthians is so helpful is it's, it clearly brings both essential pieces in and then says, they're not apostles. They're not Christians. They're teaching something false. So that's an example is outreach. You know, As you think through conversations with friends and family, we want to share truth with love. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying conceptually in your mind, how do you wrap your mind around these things that come up? Second thing, this is the second piece of application I want to just bring out to you today in terms of just getting started in Titus, but how does this apply to my life? The Bible talks about this in a couple different ways, but basically, we, we talked about the idea of the faith, the basics, that every Christian believes we're all part of a, we have a common salvation, we have one Lord, we're worshiping the same God. It talks about in other ways too that are more metaphorical, that, that's helpful. It talks about it as Christ is our one foundation, or Christ is our anchor, it doesn't say, well, I'll just read you a couple of verses here. We have this sure, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is from Hebrews. But basically, long story short, without going deeply into that passage, Jesus is the one that's our anchor. He's our anchor point. He's the thing that, you know, when you're on the sea and you don't want to be tossed to and fro, you throw the anchor in. There's something outside yourself that gives you stability. Jesus is our anchor. That these things, the gospel, the faith, these are our anchor points. It's really, really important that we know these are anchor points because we don't want we don't want to be anchored to anything else other than the most sure, the most important, the most foundational things. Another way to talk about it is that He's our foundation. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, Now if anyone builds on a foundation, oh, sorry, I skipped the main point. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All the idea there is the foundation is Jesus. Our anchor is Jesus. It's very important for us to see what our anchors are and our foundation is and to build on them. It could be really easy to build part of your life on the foundation of Jesus, and in other areas subtly be leaning on something else. The reality is that when that thing slips or falls, um, you lose your balance. But if we build our lives with the knowledge and on the foundation of Jesus, God and the gospel, the basics, that those aren't going to move. There's a lot of things, you know, this is kind of a silly example, but it just goes to show how important it is to know what the main things are and this is back you know a long time ago but uh, around Calvin's time Calvin wrote about um, how basically if a person thought the earth was a ball that was moving they were he said insane or had a demon (laughs) he said because obviously if you look around the earth's not moving it's obvious Well, good thing he knew what the foundation was, was Jesus. And that um, the reality is is that he was wrong on on a point. Right? He was wrong. The earth actually is a ball. That is circling the globe. (laughs) And imagine if he had built his faith on that. Imagine if he had built his ministry on that. Imagine if instead of Calvin's commentaries on the Bible, which are really great commentaries, that we had a 10,000-page treatise on how the earth is flat. Wouldn't that be sad? We would really have lost something there. Uh, something of great value. And not only that, his faith would have been unstable. Right? He's putting his faith in something that's not the main point of the Bible. Um, that's not the pillar and foundation of, of our faith. Is Some of these secondary points. Um, it's Jesus. Praise the Lord that that's what he's building on. We could do that in many other areas. It could be some some point of theology that is secondary or tertiary that you make a, a really big deal. Um, I've seen things like this with um, different views of the Bible. Like some people believe the King James is the only you know book of the Bible, or only you know the real. This is what they say: if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Type of thing. It's like that's the real Bible. The King James. And the reality is, is, if that's the pillar of your faith, what if one day you realize, wow, the King James isn't perfect? That's scary. You know, the other thing is, what if somebody comes in here that believes that? Will we welcome them? The question is, where are they at on God and the gospel? If somebody believes that, and you, maybe you believe that, that's fine. You can be here. I disagree with you, but you can be a brother in Christ. You could be here a part of this church. But I would warn you, don't make that a pill of your faith. Um, and that, that, things like that have shaken people's faith, where this secondary thing becomes so big, it's taking the place of Jesus. Now I'll give you another example. What about a person? Right? Some people receive all their faith from another person. Like, it could be a parent. It's like, my dad believed this. My dad taught me this. My dad said this. My dad took this position. And it's like, everything is secondary. And then maybe their dad walks away from the faith. What are they leaning on? Is it Jesus? Is it God in the gospel? Or was it that person? Um, it can be a celebrity pastor. You've seen lots of situations in the news where it's like, this guy who had this big ministry it falls and sins and wasn't real. And people are shaken up in their faith because they're leaning on now this guy was so much to me. I listened to him every day. I read all his books. I got all my theology from him. Now what? Well, the reality is, is if you're leaning on Jesus, on God and the gospel, that's still there. There's no, there's no, nothing to be shaken. You can say, well, I'm going to pray for him, but I'm still resting. I was always resting on Jesus and on the gospel, not on this other person. And so there's a lot of ways that these things can really affect our life. And I, I want us as a church to really be clear on it and it's important for your faith as you go forward because every single one of us has areas that we're going to change our mind on and realize we were wrong on, points of theology, beliefs we had, um, and realize, wow, you know, I was wrong on uh, maybe the role of free will or some other thing like that, but you know what? That doesn't change Jesus. That doesn't change the gospel. I'm still leaning on him. And I bet most of us, you know, that are older have have had things like that. Are we still resting in the same faith? Well, do we still have God and the gospel? And that's the question. That's what unites us. That's where our anchor is. Anything else that we're leaning on is not going to hold up our life. It's not going to hold up under the winds and the waves. But one thing that definitely will is Jesus and who he is, who God is, and the gospel. That's not going to change. It's pretty amazing how strong Paul talks about these things in Galatians. Think about what Paul said. He said, if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven comes to you preaching a different gospel, don't believe it. So just do a thought experiment with me right now. Imagine if an angel appeared right here and said, don't listen to this guy. (laughs) He's not telling the truth. What would you do? That'd be crazy, right? I would say, well, who is God and what is the gospel? That's what I would say. To the angel, right? Because those are the things we know, and that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, even if an apostle tells you something different, don't believe him. If it's a different God or gospel than the one we've, than one you've been taught through Christ. You know, that's again circ- circling back. This is the last thing I'll say, but it's actually really relevant. You know, as we go out, I, you know, um, a lot of times I'll talk with somebody who's Catholic, and they'll talk about, you know, well, you know, we're just we're all part of the same faith, and and um, I'll talk to them about how, according to Council of Trent, actually I'm accursed. It says anathema because it says if you believe that your good works are just an overflow of your good deeds, and not the fr- the fruit, your justification is not the fruit thereof, let him be anathema. Basically, if you believe what we believe, that you're saved not by your works, but by Jesus, and that your good works are just an overflow, then you're cursed. Um, which is really sad. And when I talk to them, you know, I'll, I'll give up a lot of points, basically. I'll, I'll not argue with them about the secondary thing. So, you know, Catholics believe that the Pope is an apostle. It's like, okay, I disagree with that, but you know what Paul says? Even if an apostle preaches a different gospel, don't believe him. Right? It's like, well, you believe that? That's okay. I don't have to argue with that. But what we do have to believe is the gospel from the Bible and God, who is he? And so we can start there. Um, and so, praise the Lord. Aren't you, There's a lot of things we can praise God for in this, isn't there? that it's simple. We, our faith is rooted in Christ and what he's done for us and that a child, a small child, can understand it. The, it would be so sad if, you know, it was like this big book like this or something. One, we'd probably all be guaranteed to not have everything right. It's like, wow. Second, think about the thief on the cross. He was saved at the last moment. Why? One of the reasons it seems clear is that the gospel, what we need to be saved, is pretty simple. You can, a person can receive it in a moment. Dying on a cross, not, not many hours left, it's like, wow, everything about his view of the world changed, and he was saved in just a moment. And that's an encouraging thought for him, for us, for every single lost person we know. It could change in a moment. Just a few simple truths about God, and how he saves us can change a person's eternity. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. So why don't we just pray together. We can just thank the Lord for this, as Paul says, common faith. Father, we thank, we're we thankful um, that it is simple. We do ask you to give us more and more clarity on every issue, um, but especially the main issues. We want to be clear on who you are and the gospel. I pray it's clear as we teach our kids, as we talk to one another. Help us in every day, um, every time we have an opportunity to talk about these things to think clearly. Pray you'd help us to really have these things be our anchor, you be our anchor and not other secondary things. I pray for that guy who um, had to leave that church in France and Just pray you'd be near to him you'd be um, teaching him and that um, he could see clearly what the main things are Um, there'd be grace for him and he'd just have joy in you even even in just in forgiveness and pray have mercy there pray for um, just other other things where this hasn't been clear pray for the catholic church have mercy on every person um, who doesn't who's working their way, would you show them uh, that you paid it all? Pray for the people we interact with uh, that don't know you. Pray you give us clarity and love. Pray you'd help us to share truth and love. Uh, we don't want. We don't want to have the right position and the wrong attitude. Please help us. Pray you'd help us as a church just to be unified. Um, if we differ on secondary things, that we would all be clear and rooted on the main things. Help us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.